0: You're listening to Give Me the Bible with Len. Today's topic is entitled Pleased. Hello my radio friends, welcome to the program today. You know I've been thinking a lot about what's being presented today and it's about pleasing God. But first I want to share with you about the lives of various Bible characters and then about us living in these challenging modern times about our relationship with the Lord. Most Christians would agree that to follow the teachings and example of Jesus is the best way to live. Some years ago, many young Christians used to wear bracelets with four letters inscribed on them. The letters were WWJD Some of you will know that those letters stood for What Would Jesus Do? And that shows that it's best to consider before taking any action on any matter to think about what Jesus, our example, might do if he were here with us. Was Jesus pleasing to God the Father? The answer is found in both the Gospels of Matthew and Luke, and I'll read to you from Matthew chapter 3, verses 13-17. to 17. It says this, Then Jesus came from Galilee to John at the Jordan to be baptized by him. And John tried to prevent him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and you're coming to me. But Jesus answered and said to him, Permit it to be so now. For thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he allowed him. When he was baptized, Jesus came up immediately from the water. And behold, the heavens were opened to him. And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting upon him. And suddenly a voice came from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son, In whom I am well pleased." So why was God the Father pleased with Jesus, God the Son, at this point of time? Jesus' baptism marked the beginning of his public ministry. Luke chapter 3 verse 23 adds that Jesus was 30 years old when he was baptized in the River Jordan. God the Father was pleased that Jesus had lived a sinless life, that he had not succumbed to Satan's temptations, and that he intended to carry out all that was necessary for sinners to be saved. But God demonstrated his pleasure with Jesus a second time, and this incident is recorded in the Gospels of Matthew, Mark and Luke. Again. I'll read to you from Matthew's Gospel, chapter 17, and verses 1 to 5. It says, After six days Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John, the brother of James, and led them up a high mountain by themselves. There he was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun, and his clothes became as white as the light. Just then there appeared before them Moses and Elijah, talking with Jesus. Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it's good for us to be here. If you wish, I'll put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. And while he was still speaking, a bright cloud covered them, and a voice from the cloud said, This is my son whom I love, with him I am well pleased, listen to him. So why was God the Father pleased with Jesus here? Well, at this point of time, Jesus was well into his ministry. He had healed many sick and disabled people. He had raised the dead and he revealed how, that through him, people might inherit eternal life. All through his ministry, Jesus had been hounded and opposed by the Jewish leadership, the scribes, the teachers of the law, and especially those self-righteous Pharisees. But despite the opposition, Jesus tried to show them the error of their ways and calmly taught them what was right. God the Father, by saying he was pleased with Jesus, was encouraging him to continue on with his ministry despite the fact that he would have to surrender his perfect life to save others, including you and me, whose lives have been anything but perfect. And personally, I'm so glad he did go through with his mission to save lost souls. Otherwise, there'd be no hope for anyone we would have to bear the eternal punishment for our sins ourselves. Thank you, Lord, for what you've done. Hebrews chapter 11 is a beautiful chapter of the Bible to read. It is sometimes referred to as the faith chapter, and it's a kind of report card about other individuals with whom God was pleased. Among them was Abel, Enoch, Noah, Abraham, Jacob, Moses, Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, and many others. So let's consider Noah. Noah lived in a time of about one and a half millennia, that's 1,500 years, after creation. This was not a good time because people then were very wicked. Genesis chapter 6 verses 5 and 6 explains the Lord saw how great the wickedness of the human race had become on the earth and that every inclination of the thoughts of the human heart was only evil all the time. The Lord regretted that he'd made human beings on the earth and his heart was deeply troubled. Maybe we can get some idea of what the social scene was like back then by considering the worst of our society. God was so displeased that he decided to wipe out humanity and make a fresh start. But how? Well, there was only one person alive at that time who stood out. He was Noah a good man. Genesis chapter 6 and verse 8 states, But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. And in verse 9 is this further information, Noah was a righteous man, blameless among the people of his time, and he walked with God. So there was this one righteous man among millions of wicked people, What a man! E.G. White writing about the modern world has this to say The greatest want of the world is the want of men, men who will not be bought or sold, men who in their inmost souls are true and honest, men who do not fear to call sin by its right name, men whose conscience is as true to duty As the needle to the pole, men who will stand for the right, though the heavens fall. And of course, this includes women. Noah was such a man. Noah did not seek selfish desires. He was not violent. He did not accept bribes. And he was not pleased when injustice took place. He hated the sinfulness of his fellow countrymen with their lust and greed. Yet Noah was not perfect. He had his faults, but he continually desired to do good, to please God, to obey and honour him. So God chose Noah to be the family lion of all future generations on the earth. God had no other reasonable choice than to wipe out all the wicked and wickedness and start again through Noah. So Noah was instructed to build a ship without any means of propulsion, an ark, on which each kind of living creature would be brought before the Lord deluged the earth with an enormous flood. Noah and his three sons, and possibly with other help, began building the ark. As well as that, Noah spoke to the curious crowds that gathered to see what was happening about the impending doom to come and the, the deed, to change their ways. Noah built and preached for 120 years, but no one took him or his message seriously. In fact, they probably thought he was mad and laughed at him. They probably had a great time telling Noah jokes. But Noah was was faithful to the Lord, even with this tremendous opposition, and kept on building the ark until it was finished. Now, I'm aware that the theory of evolution and the Bible accounts of origins are in opposition. Unfortunately, there are many so-called Christians who accept evolution as truth and the Old Testament as error, and that's sad. They have been deceived by a clever deception. There is an ever-increasing amount of evidence showing that a worldwide flood is the most plausible explanation for many of the landforms fossil beds, and strata on the earth. Now to the ark. Some ask, how could all the animals fit onto such a boat? Well, I personally have been on two of the three life-size ark replicas in the world. One was in Dordrecht in Holland, and the other in Hong Kong. They are huge really huge and as far as I'm concerned seeing is believing Have you ever wondered when the worldwide flood took place? According according to the Masoretic text of the Torah it places the great deluge 1656 years after creation or 1656 A-M, which stands for Anno Mundi, that is, the year of the world. Well, God, God was pleased with Noah, and you should be as well, because if there was no Noah, there'd be no you and no me. Noah is our ancestor. Now we come to another person who God was pleased with, Abram, later renamed Abraham. He lived about 500 years after the great flood. Abram, like Noah, lived in a region filled with sin, corruption and violence, Ur, or it's also known as ur Kasdim of the Chaldees. This was a city now identified as being tol a about 200 miles, that's 300 kilometers, southeast of Baghdad in southern Iraq. So what happened with Abram? I'll read what happened in Genesis 12:1-4 straight after the break.
1: On that shore, There's a
0: God was pleased with Abram. And I'll read to you what happened with Abraham. Genesis 12, verses 1 to 4. The Lord had said to Abram, Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, And whoever curses you, I will curse, and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So Abram went as the Lord had told him, and Lot, his nephew, went with him. Abram was seventy-five years old when he set out from Haran. Now if you read the book of Genesis, you will find quite a lot about Abram, who was later called Abraham, he made some really bad mistakes, but those mistakes did not overrule his life. He wanted to serve the Lord and obey him. Hebrews chapter 11 verse 8 has this record of Abraham. By faith Abraham, when he was called to go to a place he would later receive as in his inheritance, obeyed and went even though he did not know where he was going. And Genesis chapter 15 verse 6 adds this information. Abram believed the Lord and it was credited to him as righteousness. God was pleased with Abraham. He believed the Lord and he obeyed him. Believing and obeying go together. No one wants to obey someone else unless they think he or she is authentic. And the same goes with God. Those who do not take God and his word seriously are not likely to be interested in serving him. They are certainly not likely to become Christians. On a human level the same principle applies. If you do not trust someone, you are not likely to be interested in doing what they say you should do. A real life example of this is to do with scammers. They try to convince people that they are genuine and trustworthy. That way they trick people out of their money. I've had a few close shaves with scammers. And should we get a phone call ostensibly coming from the Australian taxation office amazon or some government or associated inf- institution i immediately end the call these people are thieves posing as genuine callers believing and obeying go together in john chapter 3 verse 36 in the english standard version is this text. Whoever believes in the Son of God has eternal life, and whoever does not obey the Son of God shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. It seems to me there are lots of religious people, many of them Protestants, who don't seem to realize that belief and obedience are both important if anyone wants to be saved. I hear a lot about believing. Evangelists keep on hammering out the theme, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll be saved. Yes, that is correct. But there is more to it than just that, as I just read to you from John 3 verse 36. It is very important to demonstrate your belief by obeying what the Lord tells us to do. And those who claim that God's moral law, the Ten Commandments, are no longer applicable, deceive themselves. If the moral law has disappeared, how can anyone obey if there's nothing to obey? Don't you get caught up in that stupid notion that the Ten Commandments have been done away with? They haven't. And if you take the trouble to actually read your Bible including the New Testament, especially the books of Romans, 1 John, 1 Corinthians, James, First and Second Peter, you'll see there that God's law stands forever. Jesus, Noah and Abraham serve as examples of those with whom the Lord was well pleased. Now, what about us? Understanding that God is extremely gracious... Are you someone who keeps making mistakes and then pleads with God for forgiveness over and over and over again? Yes, it is true that if you're sincerely sorry for what you've done, the Lord is willing to forgive you. That promise is found in 1 John 1.9. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Yes, we depend on God's forgiveness. But is your life such that you keep going to God, asking for mercy like a baby, learning to walk, falling down and getting up again? Or are you someone who, with God's help, is victorious over sin? Are you someone who, when God thinks about you, he smiles, knowing that you're like Noah, Abraham, Daniel, Joseph and others, who are truly committed to him? Are you someone who does not compromise your principles? Are you someone who stands out in the crowd and always chooses to do what is right, despite the circumstances? The question is, is the Lord pleased with you? I sincerely hope so. We'll be